You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. So we are in, um, we keep going in this series. I don't know when we should stop, you know. Um, It's called Simply Jesus. We're in the Gospel of Mark. We're only at chapter 5. So um, now we kind of skipped ahead um, for... uh, Palm Sunday and Easter to the end, you know, to those events in the Gospel of Mark. But we're back at chapter 5. And last week, we were in chapter 4, of, and we heard for the first time any length of teaching that Jesus had. And he spoke to the crowds in parables. And we talked about that and how Jesus wasn't trying to keep people away but trying to get behind their defense mechanisms. If he spoke directly and fully, from, it's amazing in the gospel of Mark specifically what's called the messianic secret, the Messiah, that he doesn't let everybody know up front who he is. And the reason is because then they wouldn't listen. They'd reject him immediately. In fact, when he finally does in the gospel of Mark, specifically for the first time to the most religious person, the one that's probably the best learned, Caiaphas, the high priest, when he speaks bluntly, yes, I am the Messiah, that is exactly when Caiaphas rips his road, cries out blasphemy, and condemns him to death. (laughs) And you might go, well, um, hey, this world, he came to his own, the Gospel of John says, but his own would not receive him. There is something about our human nature in all of us, not just some of us, that just really defies and just kind of has this, um, you've probably seen it in yourself, haven't you? Yeah, probably, huh? Yeah, I know, I have. Just this kind of don't tell me what to do um, attitude. But I'm going to tell you what to do. That's, that's that sinful wickedness that's in all of us in one form or another. It, it, right, Emma? It's there. You've probably defied your, your mom and dad once in a while. It'll only get worse through the teenage years. <laughs> oh, you all, yeah, she's, she's faced it, yeah. So now this week we come to um, the longest and most vivid account of an exorcism in the entire Bible. Mark chapter 5, it's 20 verses long. It's noteworthy um, for a couple of reasons. One is, did you realize there is not one exorcism recorded in all of the Old Testament, those 39 books, not one. Now, the presence of what's um, termed the Satan, okay, that it, and it's always got the in front of it, so Satan is not a proper name, it is a word for the accuser, the adversary, okay? The uh, opponent comes up. Um, he is present in the Old Testament. Uh, the serpent in the garden. Um, there are words like Leviathan, and there's others that talk about um, the presence of evil and evil spirits in the Old Testament, but there's not one exorcism. And it's when Jesus enters the story, all of a sudden there's this immediate confrontation with evil. Okay? So we're going to read uh, this text and see, uh, like I said, the most graphic account, the most detailed account of um, a demonic possession. 
they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Wow. Now, um, just one note at the end of this text, you might go like, Why didn't he allow Jesus, why didn't he allow this man to follow him as one of his disciples? And uh, it just so happens that we will read in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus feeds the 5,000 and the 4,000. And you go like, is that the same? No, the second feeding was in this area called the Decapolis. How do you think the crowd came together of 4,000 Gentiles and Jews together in this area but for the witness of this one man? Okay? So there was, uh, and that's what he told them, go to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Well, of course, that would be the message. But um, kind of getting beside the point of this text, just wanted to point that out. We are going to learn uh, about simply Jesus here and what simply Jesus is about in this world. To put it simply, he is here to rid the adversary, uh, rid the world of the adversary to God's creation. All the chaos and death and destruction this adversary brings. And we're going to look at these three points today. First of all, the complexity of evil. Secondly, the pattern of evil. And then how evil is defeated. Uh, but first, the complexity. Now, according to the Bible, there is a spiritual realm. And um, there are angels and demons in that realm. And you might go like, what? Uh, aren't we like in the 21st century? Shouldn't we just kind of, you know... Demons, do you really believe that? You'll notice more people would love to believe in guardian angels, you know, the good, 
but not necessarily the evil. Um, and even Christians, I think, struggle with this. Michael Heiser writes, many Christians claim to believe in the supernatural, but think and live like skeptics. I think he's correct. And it's easy to be skeptical when somebody comes up with some anecdotal story in their life of what they've experienced. And you go like, oh, yeah, I'm sure there's a scientific explanation. Um, there might be, and there might not be. Um, for many Christians, we also are reacting to what we see are some extremes within Christianity. There are people who basically um, frame their whole, uh, whole worldview around their own personal experiences and their own interpretation of events, kind of an idiosyncratic approach to the book of Acts and, and interpret everything that happens in their life by finding kind of a demon or a devil on, under every rock in any circumstance. That can be an extreme. Uh, C.S. Lewis says um, the devil would like one of two things, either a magician or a materialist. That is, a magician finding the devil's involved in everything, and therefore I don't have to take responsibility. Or the materialist, there is no such thing as a devil. And a Christian knows the reality of personal evil in this world, but also about personal responsibility for my own life. Okay? Now, I'm going to turn the question back. Why is it so hard to believe in personal evil supernatural presence in this world? Why is it irrational to believe in something like that? Do you know? I mean, people say, oh, well, so if you cannot believe in a god, then it makes sense. Everything's just material, and there is no such thing as um, personal evil in that sense. But as I think y'all know here this morning, as well as even those online, any, most people do believe that there must be a God to create this world, etc. The majority of the world believes in God in some form. And even those who may be agnostic know you cannot prove that God does not exist. Okay? So if there is a possibility of God's existence, why isn't there a possibility of actually also a personal supernatural form of evil in this world? Well, that's a primitive idea, John. You know, back then, they were superstitious about everything. Really? You know? But today, we know, you know, like back then, they thought diseases were caused by, you know, some evil force. But today, we know it's because of viruses and bacteria and genetics and lifestyle issues. I think the Bible is much more complex than you think about understanding how destructive forces are in this world. For instance, in the Gospel of Matthew, this is about Jesus' ministry. It says, Matthew 4.24, so his fame, Jesus, spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Do you notice all the different categories of people that came to Jesus? And they were able to differentiate the difference between those who had diseases and those who were possessed by demons and those who had um, some type of seizure disorder. So the Bible understood the difference between 
different mental illnesses, as well as demon possession, as well as diseases, as well as pains, etc. And the Bible actually has a very complex, nuanced understanding of how it affects us in this world. And I think we've come back to that to an extent. So for example, mental uh, health issues, specifically like depression, we have finally realized, I think, that we have to have a holistic approach, that there can be psychological reasons, physiological reasons, emotional reasons, social reasons, and even moral reasons behind why someone might face depression. People can feel guilt and shame over what they've done, and it kind of eats away at them. They can uh, physically be so worn out that uh, they can get caught into a negative mental loop in their lives and can't get out of it. They have maybe a chemical imbalance going on. They have genetic predispositions. All of these things then speak to a kind of a holistic approach where there's both talk therapy and medication and friendships and forgiveness and exercise and good nutrition and spiritual guidance and prayer, all of that. And if we're coming to that understanding now, it's amazing that the New Testament and the Old Testament seems to have that understanding of a holistic idea towards uh, personal health already at the time of Jesus. The Bible does not reduce your problems or my problems to a single plane, a single solution. The Bible says all of these things are interlocking and in fact, the demonic forces can aggravate and kind of yank and pull the trigger on all sorts of other things in your life. So often, my situations in life are kind of double locked into place because there is something outside as well as something inside of me that's keeping me caught up into this. And in our society as well. Have you ever noticed that people in an organization or situation can be very nice, but you get them together in a group and all of a sudden things go kind of haywire? Reinhold Niebuhr uh, wrote in one of his books, evil is not to be traced back to the individual, but to the co collective behavior of humanity. You know, behind all our human interactions, so often it seems like there's different, um, you wonder, you wonder what's all going on. And if you've ever been to an HOA meeting, and you, and you have not walked away from it going like, huh, there's something more going on than just this little conflict, but it seems like somebody or something is yanking the chains and instigating and causing the chaos and wanting to bring things about. Hmm, could it be that there's something more there and in our society as well? So with Jesus coming on the scene, we see a direct confrontation with the demonic in this one individual. And the clearest teaching in this story is the fact that you cannot, by your own willpower or by your own ability, overcome this strong man, this evil presence, without God. Only God is going to solve this. Only God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's kind of the complexity of evil. But now what we really get into this passage is kind of the pattern, how evil works. The text says, first of all, that the man had an unclean spirit. And then later on, our English translations say he was demon possessed. But the actual term 
is not demon possession. It's demonized. That's what the term actually means. It could be demon harassed. It could be demon inhabited might be a better way of saying it, rather than like possession. To, um, the story um, is not just a story about someone who is an outlier. Oh, wow, look at this. This person is so different from everybody else in this world, and he is facing something nobody else does. Actually, the New Testament will say that might be the an extreme on a continuum, but we're all on the continuum. So, for instance, in 1 Timothy, uh, Paul writes and says a warning to church leaders who might get a little, you know, egotistical and puffed up that they can fall into the snare or the trap of the devil. And it says also in places like um, Ephesians, that when someone becomes angry, that anger can be the trigger and used by the devil to ensnare them in place and jerk them around. So that might be a scary thought to you that, oh, we can't just set this story aside, but the fact that I, the difference between this uh, demonized human being in this text and me is not the difference in quality, of ex but of quantity. He's to the extreme, but I'm still, I do also face evil in my own lives, in, in my own life. And I've been toyed with and tempted and, um, <laughs> you know, attested and jerked around and enticed as well. Okay, so. What's fascinating, though, I think, is the pattern of what we see, what the intention of this demon in this person's life is. In Mark 5, 3 to 5, it says this about him. He lived among the tombs. He's cut off from the rest of society. He's unclean. The cemeteries were places of uncleanliness and um, disconnect, as well as death, right? And no one could bind him anymore. Do you see what that means? Someone at one time did and was able to bind him. That means evil gradually takes over. Doesn't come on you all at once. You know, the devil is not, <laughs> he's not, ob he, he doesn't, he's not obvious. I know, unlike the song, the devil went down to Georgia, right, to make a deal. He doesn't usually come up to somebody and make some type of a dumb deal. He slowly works in a person's life, gradually. But now, this person, he, he's wrenched with chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. So he is out of control. He is chaotically, he is overpowered. No one had the strength to subdue him. Human might all of a sudden cannot do it. Night and day, he's among the tombs and in the mountains. And he's crying out cutting himself with stones. It is such a self-destructive behavior going on. He's crying out in agony. So you see both the mental, emotional, social issues. The point is, this is a graphic example of what happens to an individual. It grows slowly, sneaks up on you. It's self-destructive. He cries out as well. It says, in Mark 5, 7, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. 
So there's this fear factor now built in this lie that Jesus has come to torment when it's the opposite. Isn't that amazing? It's the, it's the demons who have tormented and are destroying this individual's personality and life. William Lane puts it this way. He says, this account, more graphically than any other in the Gospels, indicates that the function of demonic possession is to destroy and destroy the image of God in man. So this man is among the tombs. He's among kind of the dead, the destroyer of life, cutting himself, the torment. It reminds me of what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. He says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so anytime that you see the destruction of life, the focus on chaos, the destruction of relationships, the motivation to kill and to destroy human flourishing, human community, human life, that is a demonized situation. Harassed under the influence of the devil. Sadly, we've just had another news story in, I think it's Buffalo, New York, where an 18-year-old white man, 18, who is just filled with racial hatred, kills 10 people, wounds three, and 11 of the 13 victims were black. This person is fully responsible for all of it, and yet there's something more than just psychological or sociology or ideology going on here. In fact, the sheriff, John C. Garcia, put it this way. He said, the shooting was a straight-up racially motivated hate crime from somebody outside of our community. This was pure evil. That's the pattern we see in this world. We're seeing it a number of times, and there's more going to it than just human issues. We don't solve it just by economics. You can't solve it just by um, psychological uh, therapy. Those things are helpful, but Jesus knows something more has to happen. And that's the big question, because if we're on that continuum as well, if I've got some of that where I am so defiant and so stubborn and I can believe into the lies, I can even speak lies myself, if every human being has some degree participated in the evil in this world, how in the world does God overcome the evil without destroying us as well? And we go back now to how is evil defeated our point three, when we look at John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Friedrich Forrester writes, Jesus is conscious that he now breaks the power of the devil and his angels because he is the one in whom the dominion of God is present on behalf of humanity. Jesus comes on the behalf of humanity. He becomes the servant of humanity. He comes to bring life. And how he brings life makes all the difference. What's fascinating in this text, by the way, and we may just not even realize it, is that 
the demon is called legion, which means thousands, right, of soldiers, like a Roman soldier. And we see the destruction of this herd of swine of 2,000 or more. And yet at the same time, there's just one Jesus and they have no power over him. None. All he does, the, the demon tries to adjure. It says, I adjure you by God, do not torment us. It's almost as if they're trying to do a reverse exorcism on Jesus, trying to keep him, and Jesus, all he has to speak is come out of him. Now, this is fascinating. I don't know if you realize this from this text, but there are other, outside of the Bible, other cases where there are um, exorcisms in ancient literature. And every time an exorcist comes into the situation, that exorcist is smart enough to know that he doesn't himself possess the power, but he uses the words, I jure you by a higher power. And usually it's like in Jewish rabbinical literature, I jure you by the living God, the most high, come out. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't call on a higher power because he is the higher power. He is the highest power. Astounding. There isn't even a struggle in this confrontation. Now, most people in the story read this and go like, now, the big question they have is, what about these pigs? <laughs> This makes no sense. <laughs> and I'll tell you, reading different commentaries and trying to understand, uh, there's not a total consensus on what's going on here. And yet at the same time, I think um, there's some hints when we look at the parallel to this story in the Gospel of Matthew, because Matthew adds a line from the demons that, that kind of give us an understanding. In Matthew 8, 29, it says, And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us, now here's the phrase, before our the time. It seems that there is a time in the future when the evil will be, be ripped out of all of creation and God will destroy it. And at that point in time, there is a place for the devil and all his wicked angels. But before this time, they're saying, you this is not the time. Why are you doing this now? The time has not yet come. And yet, Jesus is saying, you may have a host, but it cannot be a human anymore. I'll let you go to the swine, but this human is mine. This man is a son of God. I want him. He's mine. And we see the results of Jesus' authority in how now this man is whole. He's complete. A totally different picture from before in Mark 5, 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. So here now, this man is at peace, seated, for the first time in a long time. He is in his right mind, or the word can mean sober-minded or self-controlled, and he is clothed. 
You know, I think Mark is hitting at the future that Jesus has, by the way. There's going to be a time when Jesus is no longer clothed, but he's stripped naked. And he is not sitting there at peace, but in torment himself. In fact, that he is going to be pushed into the cemetery, into a grave. You see, I think Mark is hinting at that's the time when evil will fully be, um, when evil will be fully destroyed is at the cross of Jesus Christ when he, in every sense that you can imagine, takes the place of this demon-possessed man. He trades places with you and me and all the evil in this world. He says, bring it on. I'll take it. And I'll destroy it through my self-sacrifice. To take evil out of the way that most of us would think any of us would want to do, to just kind of conquer it, to overpower it, to, uh, to try to you know, outwit it. That means Jesus would have to wipe out all evil as well, but to wipe out evil without wiping out us. That's the goal that Jesus has had from his first day in public ministry through his cross, through his resurrection, to save us and destroy the adversary. I think that's why in Colossians, Paul puts it this way. He says in Colossians 2, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Get this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities that put them to open shame by triumphing them in, over them in him. And those rulers and authorities are defiant spiritual beings, according to Colossians, who want to rule and have authority to destroy his creation, to kill and steal and defy. And God nailed them with Jesus on the cross. They are defeated and Jesus is victorious. We don't conquer evil by some magic incantation that we come up with, but by the very person of Jesus Christ, who gave up all his glory, all his authority, all his honor, and he took the place of shame, destruction, and death for this demoniac here in the Gerasenes, as well as for each one of us. He has disarmed evil of its power in your life and mine. That's the promise we have from God in this story. It reminds me of um, a famous hymn from the Reformation period, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And the third verse of it, I think, sums up the situation well. Martin Luther, who wrote the hymn, writes it this way. Though devils all the world should fill, all eager to devour us, we tremble not. We fear no ill. They cannot overpower us. This world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He cannot harm us, none. He's judged. The deed is done. One little word can fell him. And that word is a name, the name Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this story. 
it's not different from, but it's just uh, we can gain so much from it. We see how you worked in this world, that you came, Jesus, to give life and life abundantly. And in order to do that, you had to die. You took our place. You took the place of this demoniac. You spoke a word of authority, but you also took his place. And on the cross, you (laughs) were tortured. On the cross, you took on the evil. You were in agony. You were stripped bare, and you were placed in the tomb. But you, Lord, were victorious. And you have disarmed all the powers of evil in this world. We see them around us now, Lord God. We see the evil that is present in mass murders. We see the evil that is present in conflicts. We see the evil that is present even in our our relationships at times where we just antagonize and, Lord, forgive us for the times that we get caught up into it instead of into the story that you've given us here, the fact that you are with us, that you give us your peace, that we can be peacemakers, that we can love our enemies, and pray for those who persecute us, that we can be about your righteousness, your truth, and your love in this world. And we pray, Lord, that you would make us those kind of divine warriors who serve, who give, who follow you, Lord Jesus, through all things. We do pray for Buffalo right now and just the agony that they are facing. We pray, Lord, for the violence in our society and just the turmoil that we've seen in the division here. We pray, Lord, for Ukraine and the war that is going on there and the conflict that seems well beyond simply a political matter or a military matter. Lord God, we see, <laughs> we see the adversary who wants to kill and destroy, cause chaos, and destroy your beautiful creation, Lord. Forgive us for uh, our complicity in any of these things, Lord. Redeem us from that. Renew us. Lord, only by your power and by your grace shall we ever uh, conquer, Lord God. Help us, O Lord, to understand these truths today in such a way that we live with courage and boldness. And we know, Lord Jesus, your name, above all names, is the one word that can fell the adversary every time. Lord, uh, we ask that you would bless um, our ministry here, that we could be about um, understanding the complexity of situations in this world, Lord, that we don't come up with just quick or glib answers But we look uh, to you uh, for your wisdom in all these things and that we can address holistically um, the, the problems and the quagmires that we see in this world that seem so intransigent, Lord God. Give us, um, make us into your prayer warriors who truly pray for your will to be done and your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven that uh, we uh, live uh, by your gospel, Lord, in such a way that this world becomes a better place. We know the gates of hell cannot prevail against your church and your people, Lord God, but we are the ones who actually can take down those strongholds because of the victory of Jesus, and we pray that you would be doing that through us. Lord, um, we lift up to you those who are ill in our congregation. We thank you for being with uh, Tom and Laurel as they visited with family who are facing difficulty. We pray your healing upon them. We lift up to you, O Lord, um, 
James and Will and pray for your healing there. For Carol and her recovery, Lord, we lift you, uh, her up to you, Lord. We pray for Jada as well and um, all of the, uh, that you unravel any of the deceptions and lies um, about her worth and her value to you, Lord, so that she sees clearly how you love her, how you want her, and provide for her, Lord. We ask that you provide for her. We ask, Lord, that you would do exceeding and abundantly beyond all we can ask or imagine. We sometimes so foolishly pray for too little, Lord, but we know that by your Holy Spirit, our prayers can still do mighty things because you, O oh Lord, are the God of goodness and grace and compassion, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. You don't treat us as we deserve to be treated, but you crown us with <laughs> your beauty and glory and your will is going to be accomplished. And one day, Lord Jesus, when you come again in glory, we know that evil will be um, defeated completely. And, we, and the evil in our own lives, Lord, will be stripped from us and we will be renewed in a wonderful new creation, Lord, and be in harmony with each other in this world. And we just pray that you'd be um, doing a little of that work now in our lives, Lord that we can point to you and your goodness in this world and around the globe, Lord God. Bless us now as we continue with our offering. Prepare our hearts to receive your glorious goodness uh, in the Lord's Supper this day, Lord. And uh, keep us always in your care. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>